Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about how lives are changed. And if that's you, let us know and send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. But if you would, I would like you to look at a passage of scripture with me found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is in the New Testament. It's actually the first book in the New Testament. And where we're going to read, uh, we'll put the words on the screen if you don't have a Bible on you, which is fine. Um, so we can all look at this together. Uh, but where we're going to look is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, so he had a a change of heart, change of mind, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is a pretty classic Christmas text. But what I've discovered in the few years I've been preaching is that while a number of people know the story of Christmas, not a lot of people know the context of Christmas. And in this text here, Jesus comes on the scene and Matthew wants us to know that now we can relate to God completely different than how we could before. See, at the time, the only way people could relate to God was through sacrifices and keeping all these different laws and ordinances and regulations. But Matthew wants us to know that now that Jesus is on the scene, he tells us this in verse 25, I didn't include it. He says, now that Jesus is on the scene, God is near. He's, he's not a far away God. He's a close God. He's God with us. In fact, He begins his narrative by giving us a genealogy. Now, most of us, if we were writing a book, writing a story, we probably wouldn't just include a list of names, but Matthew does that because he knows that's what his audience would have been interested at the time. It's just a bunch of names to us, but for the audience he was writing to, it was kind of like the ancestry.com of the, the times, of Jesus, his origin. And so he lists all these names and he says, okay, there's 14 generations between Abraham and David. Then there's another 14 generations between David and the Babylonian exile. And then there's another 14 generations between Babylon and Jesus. And what he's saying is all these generations, 42 of them in total, there's 42 generations of frustration, 42 generations of God raising up prophets and speaking to his people. But throughout all of it, uh, the people of God and people who God loved that always fell short. They were always at a distance until Jesus was born. Matthew wants us to know that when Jesus came on the scene, it marked a change. And so I'm calling this little Christmas reflection a change of scene, a change of scene. If you want to take notes, you can write that down. I want to pray and ask for God's help that he'd help me as I communicate his truth to us this afternoon and this evening. And I would just ask you to bow your head with me and we'd receive what God has for us. Well, God, we thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And God, I'm so thankful for what this day represents where we honor 
and remember and recognize how you came into a world to save sinners. And that's where all of us would be had it not been for Christmas, had it not been for the birth of your son. And so God, I'm asking that you will use our time together, that you'll help me and you'll speak through me. And God, that you'll use this word today to change people's hearts and speak to wherever they're at. I believe you will. God, and only you can do that. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Um, I want to give you just a minute because Christmas, I mean, it's about family. Uh, just find somebody sitting next to you. Don't want anybody left out in this. Just share like one of your favorite Christmas memories. Would you share with them one of your favorite Christmas memories? Doesn't have to be long, just something about the Christmas. Go ahead, you can start, you can get started. Share one of your favorite Christmas memories. I'll give you just a minute to do that. Now, I did say just one Christmas memory. I didn't say give them a list and sit on their lap like Santa Claus. Just one. All right. Well, if you didn't finish, you'll have something to talk about over Christmas Eve dinner. For me, probably one of my favorite Christmas memories was uh, setting up the nativity. Now, this isn't the actual nativity that I set up. Somebody... Uh, very generously let me make use of it tonight. But uh, one of my favorite memories was setting up the Christmas nativity. And that, that's because like at my house, uh, I have real vivid memories. It was my job to set it up. And our house, it, it set on the mantle. And um, it was like a really special thing at my house. In fact, uh, the nativity uh, was, my, was my dad's nativity. It was uh, given to him by an artist in the church, and this guy had uh, hand cast all of the all of the the characters, figurines, and and he had hand painted them, and I think they were about this size, and it was super super elaborate, um, really special. Like I remember at our at our house, um, like my mom, she'd get like straw and put it down on the floor. Like it was just over the top, you know. There was this like handmade uh, little, little stable. And I just have real vivid memories because it's my responsibility to, to set it up. And uh, in fact, I was telling my parents that I was going to use this as an illustration. My dad, he says, well, I didn't know you, you liked that so much. I, would, I just want to give you that nativity as a Christmas gift. And so I thought that was really sweet. And then I also thought about maybe I should change my story and talk about how it really meant a lot to me when he gave me money for a Christmas <laughs> gift and just see if that would have the same effect. But it was just a really special thing at, at my house. Now, like in our house... It had been through like many years. And so uh, like we had lost one of the shepherd staffs. And so somebody used like a piece of rock candy and like used this for the shepherd staff and put it through there. And, and my son Reese donated this uh, for this illustration. So thank you for that, Reese. Appreciate that. But um, it was just it, it was a really special time. You know, you had uh, you had, of course, uh, Mary and, and Joseph and, you know, little baby Jesus. And you got uh, the wise men. And you've got some, some shepherds. You've, ours had, had a cow had, you know, because the, the cattle were lowing. I have no idea what lowing is, but that's what they were doing at the time. And just, um, just really special. So many, so many memories from that. And I'm, I'm sure all of you know what the nativity scene is. The, the nativity scene, it describes the birth of Jesus. And it's got all these figures. But 
Uh, in case you don't know, it's, it takes its account uh, from the different gospel accounts, particularly Matthew and Luke. So Luke starts out, talks about the angel showed up uh, on the scene and appeared to the shepherds and spoke to them about the birth of Jesus and that they would find him in the place and they led them, led them to that place. And then you got to jump over to Matthew and Matthew talks about uh, these wise men who came. Uh, we three kings, we sing that song, we three kings of Orient are. Now, truthfully, um, we don't know how many kings there were. We say there was three because of the gifts mentioned in scripture, uh, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but I mean, there could have been 20 kings, could have been two. We really don't know. And, and uh, the, the truth is, these kings probably uh, were not in the manger scene. Um, if you study scripture at all, you find that they actually um, came sometime after Jesus was born. And I know I just ruined a few people's Christmases by telling you that, but let's just be honest, it looks better with them in the, in the, in the scene, in the picture. And so, uh, you know, this is, the, and you got the, the animals there, of course, because you know the story. Basically, you have, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph. Mary is nine months pregnant, and they're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, because there's a census that's being taken. And so um, they're, they're traveling on the back of a donkey. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but roughly uh, they traveled 80 to 120 miles on the back of a donkey. Now, I remember when Marissa was pregnant and uh, we had to take her to the hospital for Reese being born, we traveled three miles in a Nissan Sentra and that was rough just on its own. But I can't even imagine, you know, 80 to 120 miles on the back of a donkey. And so that this is like the, the nativity scene. This is all, all the elements and the Christmas story. I don't know if you realize it's in different parts of the Bible. Like in order to actually get the whole story, you got to take little pieces from different gospels, put it together like a mixtape. And um, how many know what a mixtape is? Take the best parts, put it together. All right, well, that's, that's what you do. And that's how you get the Christmas story. And uh, it's, it's beautiful. Like I have so, so much emotion for me when I look at this nativity scene. And it should be beautiful because it, it's, a, it's a picture of God sending his son into the world. Now, the, the, the history of, of the nativity scene actually uh, is believed, is attributed to St. Francis of Azizi, where he would, uh, he, he actually had people uh, get dressed up and, and do this at a live nativity. And, and he, he put it together really as a, as a way of telling the Christmas story to get people focused back on Jesus. And it's kind of an interesting story, and you can look that up, Wikipedia, if you, if you want to know how that came about. But... Um, I was thinking, you know, like, as beautiful as the nativity scene is, this manger scene, this, this Christmas scene, uh, the, the truth is, I wonder if it does a little bit of disservice to us. Because, I mean, the reality is, it wasn't all calm and bright on that Christmas night. How many of you know that, right? I mean, little baby Jesus, no crying he makes? I don't think so. How many of you have kids? Right. If that that it's a great song, but I don't think that is scripturally accurate. And, um, you know, you got the truth is you've got a, you know, pregnant, unwed teenager and her fiance is likely a teenager. And uh, there would have been all sorts of scandal. And, you know, I mean, they're they're giving birth in a barn and this is not sterile. I mean, the truth is this is 
if you are giving birth, the last thing you want is a bunch of people standing around watching. Um, that's all I'm thinking about. And so as great as this manger scene is, you know, it probably does us a disservice because it doesn't really represent the context of the situation that Jesus was born into. Jesus was born into a crazy and chaotic world. He, he was born into a messy situation. But even though it may not be accurate, okay, may not be accurate, the truth is, I think there's a message for us in this manger scene. And, and that is that even with all the chaos in our lives, that Jesus came into the world and he brought comfort to our chaos. And so I, I want us to really look at this. And um, the fact of the matter is maybe, you know, you don't have a nativity set up in your home. That's all right. You know, maybe you never celebrated with a nativity. Maybe it's not part of your tradition. All of that's okay because I'm not preaching about whether or not you have this set up in your home. What I want to talk about is whether or not you have this set up in your heart. And so let's, uh, let's just use this uh, as an example, because in some ways, this is a picture of life. It's a picture of your life, and it's a picture of my life. And the fact of the matter is, for all of us, there is something at the center that our lives revolve around. Now, in this case, it's Jesus. And that's why the setup of the nativity is so important. See, I learned this as a kid because I used to play with this. It's not just enough to have the pieces. It's how you set it up. It's not just, is everything there? It's, is it set up the right way? You have to set it up the right way. I mean, like you even got the camel looking over at Jesus here. Everybody's focused on what they need to be focused on. And uh, here's the thought that I want to introduce to you is that if something in your life, maybe things feel chaotic, maybe you feel like something's not working right. Maybe you just feel like things are more challenging than they should be. I mean, that's one of the things I think about Christmas is it tends to highlight the extremes in our life. You know, there's high highs, there's low lows, there, there's like a lot of excitement and there's a lot of pressure because we have all these different expectations and I talked about that last week, but maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I go to a Christmas service. I, I own a Bible. Like I believe, but my life is not working right. It's not, it's not working the way I feel like it should be working. Could it be that maybe it's just not set up right? And, and maybe what you need is a change of scene. See, what happens is that when Jesus isn't at the center of your life, something else is going to take that spot. And you can have all the pieces, and you can even have Jesus in there. He's just not at the center. And i got to be really careful with this, because if he falls off and breaks, this is going to become a communion service about how his body's broken for you. So um, anyways, what I'm saying is, when, you're, when Jesus isn't at the center, something else is going to take, the, take that place. And so it's very easy. And I want to show you this. And don't, don't worry, I'm a pro because I used to do this as a kid. And so let's just take, for example, uh, we'll move these guys here. Mary and Joseph, we'll come back to you in a minute. And let's just start with the shepherds. 
And this is so easy for us to do. Honestly, um, this is probably one of the most natural ones for me to do because in so many ways, the shepherds, everybody can see them, shepherds represent our work. They, they represent what we put our hand to. I say that because you got to understand a little bit about the shepherds. The shepherds, I mean, all they knew was work. I, I'm, it was work, work. Well, they wrote this Rihanna song, honestly. It's, uh, that, that is the shepherd's story because that's why so many of them were looked down on within society. See, they could never keep the Sabbath law because to be a shepherd meant that your life was literally 24-7 shepherd. You couldn't take a rest from that. You couldn't take a break. And what happens is so many of us, we, we kind of relate to the shepherds and we put our work at the center of our life. Now, this doesn't make you a bad person. The reason we do this, because like the shepherds, you spend most of your life there. It's your Monday through Friday. It's your nine to five. It becomes, you know, the center of your social life. That's where your friends come from. And, you know, for a lot of us, good or bad, this is where we derive so much of our value and identity from. It's the stuff that we put our hand to. And it's so easy to do. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It's just we spend most of our time there. It becomes the center of our life. And the problem with that is, is that no matter who you are, Christian or not, you're going to encounter some hard times in life. You're going to encounter some times when life doesn't work as well as you think it should. And whenever that happens, what you do is you begin to lean on whatever your life is centered around. And the fact of the matter is, this was never designed to support you in that situation. You give your, it's so easy to give our best to our work. It's so easy to derive our sense of worth from our work. It's so easy to, that's the thing that dominates your life because we spend so much of our time there. But you understand, this was never designed to put your hope in. It was never designed to be the thing that you lean on. And so if you do that, you're gonna wind up disappointed. But let's just kind of play around with this example. We'll, we'll move these guys back and we'll put these guys at the center. And the truth is, if you don't know anything about the Christmas story, you probably think that, I mean, these guys should be at the center. Because, I mean, these guys are good-looking guys. I mean, they're, they're well-dressed. I mean, they got, they got money. Th these are the wise men in the story. The, the wise men. The, the, the wise men, they, they represented wealth, success. They, 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 they you know, re represented the... the intellect of the day, education, in many ways, I mean, these three wise, they could, Pastor Jacob could be a wise man if he wanted to. Um, uh, the, some church, they're called magi. I always thought uh, it was Jedi as a kid. And I think that would make a great, like, Christmas story with Jedi in the Bible. I mean, Disney should really capitalize on that. I'm just saying. But th these guys, they, they represent, like, the, 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 the seat of our dreams. You, you think about your dreams in life what you want in life, success, money, wealth, fame. Now, now, here's the truth. I don't know a soul. I don't know any person that would say, I'm putting my hope, I'm putting my trust in success. I, I don't know anybody who say, I'm putting my trust in money, putting my hope. I don't know anybody who would say that. But the reality is, that's the way most of us live our lives. 
most of us live our lives as if that is the most important thing. Just, I, I, I got to become known. What I do has to become significant. I'm, you know, I'm going to educate myself. You know, we, we have all this stuff on a pedestal. And I'm not, for, I'm not against any of that, by the way. I mean, I think success is a great thing. Go be successful. I think God wants you to be successful. I'm not down on any of that. But the problem is, you put that at the center of your life. It is not going to sustain you. I, I know a number of people that are successful from every outside metric, every external metric that you could look at. And they would tell you success is not the thing that satisfies them. Success is not the thing that sustains them. Success is not the thing that gives them joy. It's a great thing, but that can't be the driving force in your life. And so what happens, you, you begin to, to lean on that and you see that, man, that's, that is very unfulfilling. It's very unsatisfying. Eventually, even whatever that success looks like in your mind, it's going to leave you feeling empty. So we can't do that. We'll, we'll put those guys off to the side. Let's try another one. Let's actually do uh, Mary and Joseph because, I mean, they're at the center of the story. And if we put them at the center, we'll just say that, for example, this would represent our relationships. This would represent our family, our marriage. And I can already tell some of you are thinking, like, that's it, Pastor. That is the right one. Because, I mean, even just family first, that just sounds good. It just sounds right. And I want you to know, I think family is important. I think family is absolutely a priority. But if this is how your life is set up, the truth is, this is why some of you are so hurt and so frustrated with the people in your life because you've put them in a place where they were never intended to be. You've put them in a place that was never sustainable. And understand, God puts people in our life to support us, to encourage us. Relationships are absolutely a priority. But your hope can't be in a person. Your hope can't be in a marriage. You can't be looking to a relationship to lift you up and, and to hold your life together. If you, if you put your hope and your trust and, and all of your joy and all of your chips in with your family, you are going to be disappointed. I'm just telling you, my, my hope is not in my family. My, my hope is not in my wife to make me happy. Let me just tell you, Marissa does not make me happy. <laughs> now, I'm just messing with you. She's right here. But, but hear me. Marissa doesn't make me happy. I mean, we have a happy marriage. Absolutely, we, we have a great marriage. But my hope is not in her to make me happy. And if you're living your life like this, where we've got these people at the center, you're expecting something from someone that they're not able to give, and you're putting them in a place where they're not able to live. You, you, are, you are going to be disappointed. And so I know some of you are like, okay, Pastor, you've gone through all the scenarios, but I want to give you one more maybe that you haven't thought of. Uh, I want to put these guys at the center. 
And I know some of you are like, hold on, pastor. We don't put our animals at the center of our life. That's not true. I've seen your Instagram. Okay. <laughs> In fact, can I just give you a new year's resolution? How about you stop with the cat postings on your story? Can we just do that? All right, the cat memes, like, in fact, I want to give a special invitation at the end of the service to pray for all of you who do that. I mean, listen, listen, that's not blessing anybody's life, okay? So, so, so all right, you're saying we put our animals at this. center. Here, here's what I'm saying. This is easy to do. Why? Because we love our animals. That's nothing wrong with that. How many love animals? I'm not going to condemn you. Yeah, we, we love animals. I'm just saying, here, here's the fact of the matter, is that our animals represent the things that bring us enjoyment, the things that bring us pleasure. Now, I am not against pleasure or enjoyment at all, but the problem is sometimes we let this stuff take center stage in our life, and it represents where we're just living for recreation. We're just living for, for pleasure. We're just, you know, if we could just retire and do our hobby. That would be amazing. That would be great if we could just do, do that stuff. But and, and God's not against you enjoying life, not in the least. But so many times this stuff takes front and center. I mean, we, we get upset when our sports teams, you know, lose. Man, I just, man, you don't need me to preach it. Like if you're a Chiefs fan, you are going to be disappointed. That is just the reality of it. You know, I'm preaching the truth in here. I love the Chiefs, but that's, but here's the thing, like, we see people's emotions go up and down with wins and losses. And then we wonder why we get bent out of shape when life starts to fall apart, when life hits us hard. It's because we got the wrong thing at the center. And it's not that Jesus isn't in our life. We got Jesus in our life. We're a Christian. We believe the Bible. We go to church. I mean, you know, most of the time when it's convenient, like we do that. But Jesus isn't at the center. And here's what I want to tell you. Is that, see, one of the things I love about being a pastor is I feel like I just get to help people reorder their life a little bit. Like, like I, I just, I give people some steps because, and I say steps because none of us get it right on the first try, you know? It takes some steps. I almost call this sermon baby steps because that's, that's really what it's about. And what I get to do is I say, okay, well, you, here's where your family goes. And, you know, it's, it's great to be successful and have your job here. And God wants you to enjoy life. But, you know, you don't want that stuff front and center. And, and what I get to do is I get to help people really just when I preach it's really not preaching. It's just really bringing Jesus back to the center. And so if you're here and you would say, you know, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. And the truth is my life, it doesn't look right. And if I'm being honest with you, it's not, not working right. And again, you're, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you don't have values. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying maybe if it's not working right, maybe it's just because it's not set up right. And so if you're here, the good news is uh, I never want to just preach a Christmas 
devotion, a little message, and not tell you what to do about it. So I want to give you three steps. I'll move through them real quick. First thing, if you would say, Pastor, my, my life isn't look right. It's definitely not working right. Here's what I want to tell you. So invite Jesus to take his rightful place. And you do have to invite him. Because even though he could very easily take that spot, he's not going to take it by force. He might come up to your door and he might knock on your door. And for some of you, he's been doing that for a long time. But he's not going to take that spot unless you invite him in. And it's real simple. Sometimes we make a big deal about it. But if you just say, Jesus, I want you at the center of my life. I'm inviting you in to take the center of my life. He'll do that. Next thing I want to tell you is to involve. Involve him in every day of your life. See, God doesn't just want to be your Sunday God. He wants to be your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday God too. And so just begin to involve him in, in every day of your life. And I understand why we, like if this is news to you that God wants to be involved in every day of your life, I get it because lots of times the church is set up this way. Like the church that I grew up in, it looked nothing like the rest of the world. I mean, the chairs were different. The, the music was different. The windows were different. The way people talked was different. Like everything was different. That's why when we started this church, we did it in such a way that you didn't feel like you were entering into a foreign country when you came. And so just involve him in every day of your life. He wants to be involved. And what happens when you involve him in every day of your life? You see that some of those things that you thought brought you satisfaction, you don't even need anymore. And some of those things that you were doing, do you find that they actually have more meaning because now there's purpose behind it? So just involve, he wants to be involved in your recreation, in your job, in your success. He wants to be involved in all, in your family. He wants to be involved in that. Last thing I want to tell you is to invest into knowing him more. Invest in knowing him more. And I chose that word invest specifically because I want to ask you to go all in. You know, the cool thing about Christmas is that in a lot of ways it marks the end of the year. All the year builds up and at the end of the year, we have Christmas, and then a week later, we get a fresh start. And I would just challenge you, if this message is speaking to you at all, I would challenge you to give God next year, all of 2018, but go all in with it. And what I mean by that is come to church regularly, come to church faithfully. Do all of it. Don't just, I'm going to give it a try, but invest. Go all in. Become part of a group. Become part of a team. You know, trust God in every area of your life. I want to challenge you to give God next year, 2018. And I promise you, your life is going to look dramatically different in a year. Absolutely will. It's going to look dramatically different with Jesus at the center. See, the reason this is so important is because you don't even need me to preach this to you. Life will preach this to you. I mean, when your life is not in order, it will preach to you something's not working right. But the cool thing is scripture actually backs this up. I don't know if you realize this, but 
Scripture is filled with, particularly in the New Testament, it's filled with, with practical application for your life. It, it talks about how to deal with money. It talks about how to deal with your time, how to deal with stress, how to operate in your mar- marriage, how to raise your kids. Scripture talks about all this. One of these really practical books in the New Testament is Colossians. Super short book. It's only four chapters. Two pages. You can read it in 10 minutes. Really practical book. All four chapters, but except for the, the, the first chapter. first chapter is really deep. In the first chapter, you could read through it, and it's almost kind of poetic. You, temptation would be to like read it through and be like, whoa, that sounds good. I have no idea what it means. But if you, if you look at the heading in your Bible, it says this. typically says something like this. The supremacy of Christ. In other words, before you can even get to the practical stuff, you got to have something your life is centered on. Let me just read to you one scripture real quick, and then we'll close. But this is what it says in verse 15. It says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. In other words, that's why God sent Jesus into the world. He did it because he wanted to have a relationship with you. And it's hard to know somebody that you can't see. So he says, everything that can be known about me is represented perfectly in my son, Jesus. And he says, and we look at the son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. So just like Matthew, he starts out listing generation after generation after generation. The truth is in our time, we've lost sight of so much of how God originally intended things to be in the order that God originally intended. We've lost sight of the fact that for life to work right, it has to be set up right with Jesus at the center. So he says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. So whether you're talking about something spiritual or something natural, he says, all of this got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And that's the phrase I want to focus on because for some of you, I would just dedicate this message to those of you who look great, you've got smiles on your face, but that's not the reality of your life. Truth is your life is falling apart. And if it's falling apart, maybe it's just because it's not set up right. 